Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for giving unto us such a great love and demonstrating that love in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that he was willing to taste death for every one of us. That he was willing to take our punishment. But Lord, even before he tasted death, took our punishment, Lord, he was willing to leave your side. Jesus was willing to clothe himself in this fleshly garment. And to understand the weakness of this flesh. That he himself would hunger and thirst. That he himself would feel sickness and pain. That he himself, oh God, would go through trials. That he might also understand the true dependence and being the example of one totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to strengthen him. And Lord, we are such a people today that through his example, that Lord, we are still learning. That we are desperately dependent upon your Holy Spirit to empower us in everything we do. May you show forth your strength in our life. May you, as has been spoken this morning, glorify yourself through us. May nothing else matter in our lives. But that Jesus Christ be exalted. And that he would glorify you through us. Lord, we are your people. And as we have sung, O God, sanctify us. Set us apart for your use. Empower us, O God. That we might truly, O God, run this race. In a manner in which Jesus Christ himself is glorified. Minister your word to us this morning. May we hear it. May we understand it. May we partake of it. And may we share it. In Jesus name. Amen. One more thing. Uh, as I listened to Melvin's sermon this morning, he said, we have a purpose. If you haven't prayed for a purpose, I'm going to share with you. Everybody over 50, your purpose ought to be, Lord, help me to finish well. Help me to run my race and just finish well. And if you're under 50, make your prayer, Lord, help me to start well. They used to say about a track runner, if you're out of that little lane quickly and you could jump very quickly, you could also most likely win that race. Depending on how fast you come out that block. How well you come out that block. But a lot of times you can lose the race based on how well you come out that block. Understand that as a Christian. Your desire ought to be coming out of the block for Christ with all your power, all your strength, all your capability. And that as you're running, you're asking God to remove all the stumbling blocks out of your way. 
that you can just run this race. And then if you're over 50, Lord, help me not to stumble because these old legs are getting weak. This old back won't stand the pounding. Lord, this won't happen. And Lord, I don't even know which way to run unless you point me. Hey. That you can say, Lord, help me to finish well. Amen? Amen. I hope that becomes your prayer, your desire, your purpose, that you really want to finish well for the glory of the Lord. Amen? And allow him to strengthen you to do it. He's more than able. Can you put me up? And I would appreciate it. It's already fixed. That's my title today. It's already fixed. It's coming off that newspaper. God isn't fixing this. God don't need to fix what he's already fixed. It's already fixed. Problem is, oftentimes we don't recognize it. We don't see it. But it's already fixed. And you and I have to come to that place to truly recognize that God's already done it. He's already fixed it. Which one of these here? I'm getting confused on which one. I'm supposed to turn it on up here. Do we have it? Columbus, can you hit it back there on my channel? It's, it's already fixed. And we have to acknowledge that sometime. That what we see messed up, it's already fixed. It's already fixed. When marriages are mixed up, it's already fixed. Just got to get God involved in it. The solution is already there. When there's rebellious in the house and, and all kinds of things is just going the wrong way, it's already fixed. The solution is in Jesus Christ. It's already fixed. We are the ones who have to make the choice if we're going to follow through with what God has ordained. We have to make that choice. Hey, well, I follow through with what God has already ordained. And, and, and without making that choice, you're not going to find yourself where you need to be. Hey, and, and God wants you to understand it's already fixed. But you have to acknowledge him. You have to acknowledge his ways. You have to be willing to walk in his ways. And sometimes you might get tossed off the track, but you can get back on the track. You can fix it if you're willing to follow Jesus Christ. And as a nation, our choice is to continue to forget about Jesus Christ and put him off to the side or begin to acknowledge his presence and understand it's, it's fixed. It's fixed. See, God isn't fixing this. Yes, he is. It's already fixed. It's a work that's already done. But you and I got to come to a place to recognize it's done. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? It's finished. It's already finished. It's already done. This is not the first time God made the front pages in newspapers. Not the first time. He has done... That thousands of years ago, and we're going to look at that when we look at the name Emmanuel. He's done that many a times down through the centuries, through the ages. God has made first the front pages of many newspapers. 
And what you and I need to recognize is simply this. God has given an answer to man's problems in two names. And we're going to explore that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 and 23. Oftentimes we deal with the story of Joseph and the Holy Spirit and the angel speaking to Joseph and Joseph's problem. And we're going to deal with that too. But that will be later on in another message. We'll be going back to Revelation, most likely in February. But what I want you to catch today is these two names. And the importance of these two names. And understand why these two names. We sing about the name of Jesus. We have all kind of poems about the name of Jesus. But do we really understand these two names, Jesus and Emmanuel? And that's what I really want to focus on. Jesus and Emmanuel. Both given in the same text area. One when it's spoken to Joseph that he will be called what? Jesus. And then just a verse or two down. That his name shall be Emmanuel. But we don't find that name anywhere else going on in the gospel. All we hear is the name Jesus. And there is meaning in the name. The meaning of the name Jesus is simply this here. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. And there were many individuals, even at the birth of Jesus who carried the name Jesus. In the Spanish community, there are many young boys who have the name Jesus. In American culture, you don't find anybody named Jesus. But in other cultures, you will find this name, Jesus. But you will find the name Joshua, which is also Jesus. His meaning is Yahweh or Jehovah saves. Yahweh or Jehovah saves. Now, just think with me a moment on that. Jesus saves. Jesus delivers. Jesus rescues. Jesus. Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now he's speaking to Joseph. She is Mary who's going to give birth. But remember in this text, the Holy Spirit is dealing with who? Joseph. And we're going to talk about Joseph's problem, as I said, later on. Because we have the same problem that Joseph had. And it says, I'm going to give him the name Jesus. So he's directing Joseph on the name of this child that's going to be born 
in Bethlehem, naming Jesus. Naming Jesus. But in the text itself, it describes the meaning of Jesus and also the action or the work of Jesus. It tells it. It says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people. Now, now that's some task. That Jesus would be set before us with a purpose. As Melvin said, we have a purpose. Jesus had a purpose, a divine purpose, a heavenly purpose. He had a purpose. And his purpose is to save his people. Save his people. Now the question comes in, if I'm saving the people, what am I saving them from? What am I saving them from? And right back in the text it tells us. It says, He will save his people from their, now catch this word, sins. From their sins. Plural. Not singular. But plural. And what we refuse to believe is that we are a sinful people. We refuse to believe that we need a Savior. And the reason we don't need a Savior is because we do not see ourselves as sinful. And every man sees himself right in his own what? In his own eyesight. Every man sees himself as okay in his own eyesight. Everyone sees his own actions, his own ways of life, his own doing, his own speaking, that is okay through his own eyesight. So it's okay if my mouth is full of profanity. It's okay because I'm right in what I'm saying. It doesn't matter how my actions might appear to others. Because I'm the one doing it. It's all right. It don't matter how other people are hurt by it. How other people might see it as ill-mannered. Other people might see it as something as careless. People might see it in a different way. Oh, in the supermarket, when you hear a mother tell a little child, get your A over here. Or you hear a parent say to a child, I'm going to beat the S. Now in their mind, that's my child. I can say anything I want to say. And what they don't understand is the corruption that they're building into the child's life. What they don't understand is the hatred that they're building into the child's life. What they don't understand is that anger that blows up in that child because the way they are mentally being abused with words. But in their eyesight, it's okay. It's okay. And Jesus says that he come to save. And to save us from what? From our sins. To save us from our sins. And oftentimes we never see the sins. But Jesus is Jehovah 
saving, Jehovah at work in our lives, Jehovah at work in our community, Jehovah at work in our nation, that God, he is present and he is at work. But we have to acknowledge it. We have to see it. Jesus is the clearest view we'll ever have of God on this side of heaven. We need to understand that. Jesus is the clearest view as we look in the scripture and we see Jesus. We get a glimpse of God. We get a glimpse of the Heavenly Father. Go to John 14, 8 and 9. Because the question is asked of Jesus. Show us the Father. And it's a sincere question. And many people today are asking that question. Okay, let me see God. Let me see God. I just want to see God. Look what he says. Picking up in verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father. For Jesus has been speaking about the Father. Jesus had taught them. He had come to do His Father's will. Jesus had taught them. He only speaks what He has heard from His Father. So they're not detached from the Father. The problem is they're seeing Jesus, but they're not seeing the Father. So this Father becomes the mystical figure. This Father is someone they can't see. This Father is someone they can't touch. And their heart is crying out, show us the Father. But look what Jesus says. Jesus comes back and he simply says to Philip, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me have seen who? Yeah. See, when somebody says to us, show me Jesus, maybe we need to say to them, have you been around me so long that you haven't seen the Lord? Have you been around me so long you don't see the attributes of Jesus bleeding through? You've been around me so long you don't hear the message of Jesus coming forth from my mouth? You've been around me so long and and yet you don't see the actions. You don't see how I'm living. You don't see whose will I'm trying to fulfill. You've been around me so long that you don't see. And sometimes we need to even say that to family members. It's not so much preaching to them, but it's living for Christ for them. What they need to see is the sacrifice you're making. It's not the pounding of the word. It's the life that you're living. That doesn't make you better. I have a brother that tells tell me, oh, you just think you're better. And every now and then he kind of reminds me of that. You know? No, I don't think that I'm better. we just chosen to live differently. And what you see is a different life than what you have. But the same life that is being lived here, you can live it if you are willing to make the choice. It's in your choosing. It's in your choosing. It's the choice that you make. Because I understand Jesus is here to deliver me. Jesus is here to deliver me from my thinking. 
that I might have his mind. Jesus is here to deliver me from all my faults. And therefore he tells me, I'm a victor in Jesus Christ. I am victorious. And the only way I'm going to be victorious if I'm victorious over those things that are in my life. I'm conquering something. But it's happening in the name of Jesus. Who said that he come to save his people. And John 3.9. Go there. I got 39, but I think it should be John. Is it John 3.9 or 5.9? John chapter 5 and verse 39. John 5.39. I'm sorry for the mistake there. But he says... You're studying the scriptures. Catch this for a moment. How many of you have followed a recipe, but it didn't turn out like the recipe said it should turn out? Yeah. Yeah. And you have to go back and do it again, and you discover there's something that you didn't do exactly the way the recipe said do it. Jesus says, you study the scriptures, and in those scriptures you think you have eternal life. And we can quote verses. We can know the topics of a chapter or or a book, and we get a lot of intellect up here. But are you missing what the scriptures are declaring? The scriptures are shouting to us, Jesus Christ. There's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. The scriptures are shouting, there's no other way to the Father but through me. The scriptures are shouting about me. Are you catching that? Or are you so involved in the scriptures themselves? And thinking because I memorized the hundred scriptures or thinking that I memorized the book of John or I memorized the book of Matthew. Oh, I know the Bible because I've read it all the way through one time. But did you catch the message? Did you catch the message? Are you understanding the message? Are you living out the message? And he says, boy... You search the scriptures, and he's talking to the religious folks, the Pharisees. And he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Just knowing the scriptures does not give you eternal life unless you accept what the scriptures are declaring. Unless you're following through with those instructions given by the scriptures. And you're living it. See, a lot of people say, I know God. And my question is, in my mind sometimes, how do you know God? If God is only a 
figmentation of your mind. And yes, you know there's a higher being. But understand, God has written you a letter that you might understand Him and know Him personally. And the Scriptures is that letter that God has delivered to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we might know Him. He knows us. We don't know Him. But we get to know Him through His Word. And when we begin to live His Word, what we begin to see develop in our lives, when we begin to trust Him in His Word, and we live it and we walk it, we begin to experience a relationship with a living God. Because now we're putting His Word to the test. To see if he will really fulfill his word. I want you to hang on to that fulfill. Because that's what's going to happen later on in the text. Because see God wants to fulfill all his promises to us. God wants to fulfill his word in us. And when God says he has predestined us to be like Christ, he is working that out day by day, hour by hour, event by event, circumstance by circumstance. He's working in our lives to do that, that we would be like Christ. And that Acts 4, 12 simply says, no other name given. Now you can read the scriptures and you can think that you have eternal life. But they testify of me. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me. That's a sad part in scripture. You have all this knowledge. You're reading the scriptures. But you're not following through with the scriptures. And he says you refuse to accept me. Though you're reading about me, the scriptures are declaring me, but you refuse to accept me. Now understand this. People are free to choose. They are free to choose Jesus or reject Jesus. They are free to do that. And at Christmas time, we're seeing humanity continue to push Jesus where at. Out of the picture. Out of the picture. So it's happy holiday. No more Merry Christmas. It's everything else but about Jesus Christ. And we keep pushing him out. You're free to make that choice in pushing Jesus out of your life. Out of your mind. Out of your existence. You're free to do that. But you're not... Free to choose what the consequences might be. You're not free to choose the consequences over the choice that you have made. You may push him out, but there's consequences to that. You may reject him, and there's consequences to that. You may not be obedient to him. And there's consequences to that. Because remember, Jesus come to deliver you from your sins. 
you have a choice that you can receive him or you can reject him. Knowing this is important because salvation is not getting people into heaven. And oftentimes, that's our thought. To get people saved that they can be in heaven. Get people saved that they can be around the throne of God. Get people saved. No, we want to see salvation taking place in the lives of people. Because when salvation is taking place in the lives of people, you see people being delivered from their struggles. You see people being delivered from their problems. You see people being delivered and lifted up. Because as they begin to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, in due time, I will honor you. When you begin to really live for Christ, you see something different. It's not getting people to heaven. It's getting God into the lives of people. And you see that even in this verse. Because God would have never sent his son if he didn't want to be involved in our lives. He could have stayed in heaven and directed But God wanted to be personally involved. Don't see Jesus in the manger. See Him as a grown individual sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you on your behalf. See Him as the one who has sent the Holy Spirit into your life to conduct your life, to order your life, to correct you in your life, to teach you in your life that Jesus Christ, is saving you moment by moment by moment in this life. There's a verse in Psalms 31, 15. And it simply says, My time is in God's hands. My time is in God's hands. It's not in my hands. It's in his hands. And oftentimes we forget that. That whose hands my life is in. That he says he's the potter. And, and I am the clay. And, and, and oftentimes we wind up just forgetting it. Because it's so easy to forget it. He says in Psalms 31:15, My times are in your hands. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies. And Christ come to deliver me from my enemy. And the worst enemy I have is me. It's me. My enemy really is not the one outside. My enemy is not the one who people who are talking about me. My enemy is really not the one who, who's putting a stumbling block before me. My worst enemy is me based on how I react to the people who are doing whatever they do. My time is in his hand. Understand this simple principle also. A man or a woman will go to hell unsaved. They're going to go to hell without Jesus Christ. 
without confessing Jesus Christ. And people are having a hard time wrapping that around their mind because the Muslim world has Allah. And they're very faithful and they pray five times a day and they do this. And people with, with Buddha, they got all their chants and they chant three times a day. A young lady we know down in Kentucky, and we shared Christ with her. She has her Buddha thing in her living room, and she opens it up, and she gets down, and um, no, 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 whatever. But the thing is, is that that's not saving her. That's not delivering her. It got all kind of mess in the life. But Jesus delivers. Jesus, he saves. Jesus fixes what man cannot fix. He doesn't. A man or a woman may go to hell unsaved, but not unloved. For God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would have what? Eternal life. It's not that we loved him first. It's because he loved us when we were unlovely. When we were undone. He loved us. He loved me before I ever mentioned the name Jesus on my lips. He loved me. And the scripture says he carried me from my mother's womb until my hair was gray. He's carried me. He has demonstrated his love for me all my life. Even before I even knew him, he demonstrated his love for me. You may go to hell because you're unsaved and because you've never accepted Jesus Christ. But you will not go to hell because you're unloved. Many children cannot go back home. Many children cannot sit with their parents. Many children can't do this or that with their parents. It's not that they're unloved. It's that they've chosen to live a different way than what their parents expect. It's not that they're unloved. But they've chosen to live differently. And our thing, we can't change the lives of people. God has to do that. But we can live the Christ life before people. And that takes a sacrifice within itself. To live godly. To live holy. To live... Denying yourself of some of the freedoms that you have a right to do. For the Lord says, Les, you're at liberty to do anything you want to do. But is it profitable for you? Is it going to be beneficial for you? And he gives you the one, the option to study that and look at it. Will it benefit you if you take this action? Will it be a blessing to you if you take this action? You're at liberty. You're at a freedom. Because he who has set you free has set you free indeed. And you have the freedom now to really choose. The question is, 
is it beneficial? The question is, will it glorify him who has saved you? The question is, will God be glorified as Sunday school was talking about this morning? You have the freedom, but is it beneficial? Is it going to glorify Jesus? For he has come to save you, to deliver you from whatever that might be. Now, without a relationship, there is no working out of the problem. And that's what God saw. That my people really don't have this close relationship. And God says, boy, I'm going to inject myself into their world because at this point they can't come where? Into my world. So I'm going to inject myself into their world and I'm going to have a relationship with them. And that's why he says that Jesus, his purpose is to deal with what? Our sins. That's a relationship. Whenever somebody's dealing with you, it's some type of form of relationship. And he says, I'm going to deal with their problems. I'm going to save them from their sins. I'm going to give them victory over their sins. I'm going to work with them with their sins. I'm going to correct their thinking, for as a man thinketh, so is he. I'm going to deal with his heart. I'm going to transform him. I'm going to give him a newness of life. I'm going to allow him to allow his past to be behind him, and he can only focus on his future. God says, I'm going to work with him. I'm going to work with him. But in working with man, this is what God recognized. I got to work with sin. I got to deal with sin. Understand this about people. You don't deal with people unless you deal with their hurts, their pains, and their sins. You don't deal with people without also dealing with their past. People have stuffed a lot of stuff in. One of the biggest things that hindered me and my dad's relationship for a long time is that I didn't know about my dad. But as I started asking questions about my dad, to understand around 14, 15 years old, my dad was getting beat by his mother's living boyfriend. To understand that his mother had very little to do with his life, but the one who really became his mother was my aunt, Aunt Lizzie. And when my Aunt Lizzie died, he cried like a baby. But when his mama died, he didn't cry. There was an attachment. And my dad was a loner. My dad didn't have friends. He grew up in a single family home. He only seen his dad three or four times in his whole life. When I begin to understand my dad, then I can begin to understand the reactions of my dad. I can begin to understand 
that his dad fell in so many ways. There were ways he was not going to fail. But at the same time, in some areas of my life, and what I saw was a failure of a father because he didn't come to my basketball game. He didn't come to my football games. He didn't come to my track meets. He wasn't there to support me in my sports. He wasn't there to encourage me. He never had encouragement. How was he going to encourage when he himself never had it? You know, he never had the love of a father. And he had 14 children. How is he going to divide that? He has no education. He has no real learning of that. And at that time, the rubber companies worked six-hour shifts, and sometimes he would work 12-hour shifts. And at that time, they didn't have all the protective gloves. You had to pull that rubber. They started putting that wire in there at first, and he would come home, his hands all be cut up. He had to soak his hands because they would be swollen. But he was doing that for his family, so he showed his love in a different way. But I had to catch it. And God had to heal me. Is saying to me, forgive my dad, even though I never went to my dad and said, I forgive you. It had to start where at? Right here. Right here. Right here. And Jesus came and fixed it. Jesus gave understanding. In Jeremiah 3, he speaks, I will give you shepherds that will give you knowledge and understanding. And what God's people need is knowledge and understanding. Not just knowledge, but also understanding. And Jesus has come to give us knowledge and understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's that relationship that He deals with our sins. He deals with our hurts. He deals with our pain. He delivers us from it. In the name of Jesus. Jesus fulfills his name. Jehovah is salvation. Salvation is a benefit for man, not for God. Understand something. Access, God needs nothing from man. Needs nothing from man. But we need everything from God. We need everything from God. And God is really to put everything at our disposal that is of his power. That we might live the life that he desires us to live. Salvation is strictly a benefit to man. All that takes place in this thing called salvation for us is not for the benefit of God, but for the benefit of man. And he is the only one who could do it. So he did it. How did he do it? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. How does he fix our life? Jesus. How does he comfort us? Jesus. How does he lead us and show us? Jesus. It's through Jesus. Through Jesus. Now, what are the sins? Because he used the word plural, sins. And we can't name them all. Some of you know what you're struggling with. Some of you know what you're wrestling with. Some of you know what's down in your heart that you have to deal with. Is it the sin of unbelief? 
And see, the, taking away the sin of unbelief is the first sin of unbelief about Jesus Christ. But see, as you grow in Christ, even as a Christian, you're struggling at times with your unbelief. Can I really believe God for this? Can I really trust God for that? Will God really take care of this thing and that thing? Will God? And, and he's dealing with our unbelief all the way from childhood to death. He's dealing with us. Just like the man who said, God isn't fixing this. Is a form of unbelief. A form of unbelief that God is even present. A form of unbelief that God is big enough to fix it. It's an unbelief that even God may not have a solution for this. That area of unbelief. And some of you may at this Christmas season may need to be able to say to God, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me to believe. Help me to trust your word. Help me to grab hold of you and not let go. It may be a sin of worry. How am I going to pay this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to conquer this? And you're constantly worried about it. And something always is coming up to worry you. And he says, cast all your cares upon who? Upon me. Why? Because I care for you. And it may be that sin of worry, where you are worrying about this thing and that thing, and God wants to set you free from worrying. Because you can't really function for His glory when you're loaded down with a bunch of worry. Worried about your future. Worried about this thing or that thing. You can't function for God. Because your focus is so much on what you're worrying about. It might be the sin of debt or material things that God may have to set you free from. Because, boy, everything my eyes see, I want. And God has to set you free from it. Because Satan entraps you in debt. And when you are in debt, then you begin to rob from God. And when you're in debt... God becomes secondary because debt becomes the primary thing. It causes you to change your focus. Rather than say, Lord, deliver me from my debt and from the things of this world. Because I know the things of this world, they're only temporal. They're not eternal. They're temporal. And when you discover that these things are temporal... You begin to invest in that which is kingdom, that is eternal, rather than just temporal. A lot of people work for the temporal things rather than what? The eternal things. And we need to focus on working for the eternal things, not the temporal things. And then he says, the sin of anger, maybe I lose it. Maybe it's the anger inside that won't let me forgive a person. Or deal with the person. But it blocks. And God wants to set you free from that sin of anger. Free us from our past. And we all have a past. Now just think with me for a moment. Paul. If Paul would have carried his past 
into his future. Paul would have constantly been grieving about the people that he killed. Paul would have been dealing with the people he put in prison. Paul would have been dealing with the families that he separated. Paul would have been dealing with so many things emotionally. I understand Paul more when he says, forgetting the things that are what? Behind me. And some place, you got to forget the things that are behind you. And Jesus comes to set you free from that past that you can focus on the future. It's not about where you have been. It's about where God is taking you. Get focused on that. What is God doing in my life? What is God calling me to? What is that God wants me to really do and labor in? What is it that God, not my past. Because your past will only stop you from really going after your future. And then he says, from the habits. How many of you got bad habits? Boy, I, I, I got some of them. See? And, and Elaine has lived with them. See? See? One of my habits in the house, I don't like nothing moved. She liked to move every month or two. See? See? We all have habits that we're trying to somehow deal with because why? They imprison us. And he's set us free. Habits sometimes can be a sinful thing. How many of you got a habit of not encouraging people? How many of you have the habit of not speaking kind words to people? How many of you have formed a habit when you see a certain person coming your way, you purposely... And see, I can't witness to that person doing this. So God has to heal and deal with that sin that I can eye to eye with that person. And then the last one, the sin of only dealing with myself. That somehow I have lived a life that is only about me. Everything is about me. My money is only about me. My security is only about me. That everything is just about me. And Christ come to deliver me from that sin of just me. Because life is more than just me. No man liveth unto himself. No man dieth unto himself. There are people that you're touching. There's people that you're involved with. And you're not the only important person in the world. And therefore the Lord said that you would have your interest of your brother before your own interests. But he has to deliver me from the me. That I'm the most important person living. I'm the most important person to take care of. 
And that I heap everything upon who? Me. Give me God. Give me love. Lord, just flood my life. But don't let my cup run it over. Because it's just about me. The name Emmanuel. Drop down into verse 23 in Matthew 1 with me. Catch what he says here about Emmanuel. He says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they, now he includes the word they, Joseph and Mary. They will call him what? Emmanuel. Look at the meaning of Emmanuel within the scripture, which means God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. Go back with me to Isaiah 7 and 8. We don't have time to explore the whole story. But I, Isaiah is telling Ahaz, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. And a couple of other nations have banded together to come against Judah. And Isaiah tells Ahab, ask the Lord, ask the Lord. Go into verse 10 with me. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahab, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in deeper depths or in the highest depths. But Ahab said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. He says, I will not ask. I want you to catch that. I will not ask. What is it that you won't ask the Lord? What is it that you won't put the Lord to the test? But because he would not ask, Isaiah says this then. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him what? Emmanuel. Again, God with us. Hang with me for a moment. Historically, or in commentaries, you will find basically two stories. One, that Ahaz's wife would give him birth to Hezekiah, and that Hezekiah would be this Emmanuel. The problem with that is that Hezekiah is nine years old at this time. The other story that you will find in that in history is that one of his handmaidens, concubines, was ready to give birth and that that child would be Emmanuel. Neither one of those really fit, but they're there. When you get over into chapter 8, because we want to understand this Emmanuel and what it really means. Now I'm going to paint the picture a little bit of America with this story. 
When you're not willing to acknowledge, what is it that Ahab wouldn't do? He wouldn't ask God. We're making light of prayer. We're laughing at prayer. And we're trying to deter people from praying. God isn't going to fix this. Understand this. What we didn't see is this. Fourteen people died. Another group of people were wounded or suffered. But could there have been a thousand people killed? Who stopped those three pipe bombs from going off? Who stopped them from using all the ammunition that they had in their house? Who saved those lives in that building? See, God was at work, but oftentimes we don't give God credit for what he's doing, even in the midst of a crisis. Because there could have been more than 14 people killed. And oftentimes, when God is working, God don't blink the light. I'm at work! I'm at work! God is working here! You have to see it. The mercies of God. I would like to hear some of the people's stories of how they felt God intervened and what God did. And the whole process is oftentimes we don't see God's presence at work. And yet He is. When you get over into chapter 8, these nations are coming against Judah. They're coming against. So when we pick up in verse 7, it says, Therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the rivers. Assyria. The mighty army of Assyria. The king of Assyria with all his promise. It will overflow all its channels and run over all its banks and sweep on into Judea, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the net. And what God has said, I'm going to trouble you up to here. I'm going to bring trouble into your land. I'm going to bring trouble into your nation. I'm going to bring trouble up to here. Why? You won't call upon my name. You won't acknowledge me. And God says, I'm going to trouble you. I'm going to trouble you. I'm going to trouble you until you acknowledge my name. And he he goes on down there and he says, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. It's on its outspread wings will cover the breath of your land. Oh, Emmanuel. That there is such trouble that they cry out, Oh, Emmanuel! They can't handle the trouble. They can't handle the pressure. And God is pressuring them. And God is bringing the trouble until they cry out, Oh, Emmanuel! Now read a little further with me. He comes on down. He says, Raise the war cry. What's the war cry? Oh, Emmanuel. And he goes on. Your nations 
and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands, prepare the battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will not what? You can do all you want to do. It will not thwart the enemy. It will not stop the enemy. Why? You have rejected me. You have denied me. You are saying, I'm not there. Look what he says at the very part here. Devise your strategy. Purpose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. Until you cry out, Oh, Emmanuel, oh, Emmanuel, oh, Emmanuel. Come on down just a little bit further into this, trying to rush a little bit. The Lord Almighty, in verse 13, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And look at 14 to begin. And he will be a sanctuary. When you cry out, Oh, Emmanuel! He'll be a sanctuary. Oh, Emmanuel! He'll be the security. Oh, Emmanuel! Because what you have come to a point to is to acknowledge God is with us. You're acknowledging His presence. You're acknowledging that you know Him. You acknowledge all that He is. He is a Savior. He is a rescuer. He's a deliverer. He's a healer. He is one that is able. And you cry out, Oh, Emmanuel, the presence of God is here. 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 How many of you acknowledge the presence of God? When you're sitting alongside your bed with your tears coming down. Scripture says he's the God of all comfort. Do you acknowledge his presence? When your body is raked with pain and sickness. He says he is the God that healeth his people. Do you acknowledge his presence? When you're going through those tough times of life, and it seems like you just can't shake it, do you acknowledge his presence? Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Hebrews 13, I talk about, he's an ever-present helper. Do you acknowledge his presence? Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, I know I can sing well. Lord, I know I got a good voice. Lord, I know I can do this. But Lord, help me. Lord, I know I can preach. Lord, I know I can do this. Lord, I know I can say that. Lord, I know I've fixed my mind for your message. But Lord, help me. He's an ever-present helper. Emmanuel. God with us. He's there. He's there. He's there. Remember those two names. Jesus. He wants to save you from every problem, every situation. He wants to deliver you. Emmanuel. God is with us. He's present. He's not afar off. 
He's very near. He's right here. Amen? You catch those two names? Catch the importance of those two names? Understand, God is saying, I'm going to deal with your sin and your problems. But I want you to recognize me and know I'm here. I'm here. Amen? I'm here. Father, we just thank you and praise you, oh God, for giving Jesus Christ those two names that, Lord, that we can really depend upon. For we can cry out, Jesus, and he will rescue us. And we can cry out, oh, Emmanuel, and know he's right here with us. Lord, it's not about what we're going through in life. It's about our recognizing the one who can solve all of our problems. The one who can really fix it for us. The one who can take care of it. Jesus. And know with a certainty that he's right here with us. He's not afar off. But he is omnipresent right here. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can depend upon you and your grace that is more than sufficient. We thank you, Lord, that there is no trial or temptation that is not common unto man, that, Lord, you will not lead us through. Lord, you're right there with us. And, Lord, even when we have these problems of health, you're right there with us, Lord. For you are our strength, and your grace is more than sufficient, and you are the one who enables us. Oh, God, we thank you. And Lord, if there be one among us right now who have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, though they have read the scriptures and they have studied the scriptures, but have not discovered the one in whom the scripture says eternal life is in, may you open their heart and their eyes even at this very moment that they might see Jesus as the Savior the one who wants to intervene into their lives. Lord, I pray that you would just work. And if you're here today and you never accepted Christ, we want to give you that invitation that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day in which God is saying unto you, I want to come into your life. I want to sub with you. I want to reveal myself to you. I want you to get to know me. I want to have a relationship with you. If that's never happened, would you just simply pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Come into my life and be Lord of my life. Be Savior of my life. Be the deliverer in my life. Be the victory in my life. Come into my life, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. 
If you ask him to come in, thank him for coming in. And would you let me know or Pastor Travis know? Let somebody know sitting around you. I just accepted Christ as my Savior. We want to rejoice with you. We don't want to show about you. We don't want to make something big about you. It's what Jesus has done in your life and you know he has done it. But you need to acknowledge it if he's done it. And if you've accepted it. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.